Hello, I'm Peter Laws, and this is a sermon-only episode of the Creepy Cove Community Church podcast. If you'd like to hear the full church service, complete with strange comedy, special guests, and notices like you've never heard before, then all the shows are available for free. Just visit creepycove.com to find out more. But if you just want to hear a sermon, a time of quiet reflection, and a song, then this is for you. I'd be grateful if you could check out patreon.com forward slash creepycove to find out how you can support the show and get lots of exclusive member benefits. But for now, I'll shut up. Here's your sermon. Thanks. And on and on. So you guys know the drill. If you're in a farmhouse or a shopping mall during a zombie apocalypse, what is the first thing you should do? First, you should fortify the walls of the place you're in. You tear apart the tables, the chairs, and anything else that is made of wood or metal, and you fortify the windows and the exits, because if not, they'll be coming to get you. Whether your name is Barbara or not, they will get through. They will eat your brains unless you fortify those walls. Because if you live in potentially hostile territory, you need good defenses. Well, in our Bible reading earlier, we meet this guy called Nehemiah, And he and his people are in exile in Babylon. But some of his people have finally been getting to go back home in stages, yet they are sending back terrible news. The walls of the city, Jerusalem, Nehemiah's home city, are in ruins. And this freaks Nehemiah out because he's like, if we don't have the walls back home, we are seriously vulnerable to attack. His hometown is like a zombie house with all the windows smashed and open, no doors on any hinge. These are bad times. And so in chapter one of the book, he learns about the lack of walls and he breaks down and weeps. But in that moment, he also starts to develop this bold vision to see the walls rebuilt. That's what he hopes for beyond anything else, to fortify his home. But how on earth can he do that while he's in captivity? Well, we find out how in our passage. And the key to his success is something surprising. It is honesty and vulnerability shown through a facial expression. Facial expressions have a great deal of power, don't they? Like, if if you don't believe me, just try this. Just try walking up to a complete stranger in a supermarket and just grin at them. Like, all your teeth showing. Do it for about 60 seconds. Maybe tilt your head, Michael Myers style. You'll get arrested. Such is the power of a simple facial expression. Like when someone gives you a dirty look at work and it plays on your mind all day or or someone beams a smile at you in the street and you think, hey, life's good. Our facial expressions have power. And Nehemiah is about to discover that. You see, at the start of the passage, Nehemiah is working as a cupbearer to the king, checking that the food and wine isn't only good, but also that it's not poisoned. I remember as a kid how my dad used to do this for me, actually. He'd, he'd eat a bit of my cake or snap a bit of my chocolate off and say, oh, I just, just got to check to see if it's poisoned or not. You know? So Nehemiah is doing um, this cup-bearing job for the king. When the king spots something, he goes, why does your face look so sad? Now, this is interesting because verse 1 tells us that this happens during the month of Nisan. Yeah, I know, I know on paper it looks like Nissan, the make of car, but here I... Um, as far as I know, it's it's Nisan uh, pronounced, uh, a month in the Hebrew calendar. And the first chapter of Nehemiah, when he weeps over the broken walls, takes place in a different month, the month of Kislev. So that means that four months have passed between these two times, right? Nehemiah, therefore, has been sad for quite a while. And yet, look, verse 1 says, 
I had not been sad in his presence before. I think that's pretty interesting. He's been sad and devastated. In fact, he's been to the point of weeping for four months, but no one at work knows about it. Hmm. I'm going to ask you a question. Are you doing that? Or do you ever do that? Do you ever like put on a brave face for months, maybe even years on end? Or do you like keep your pain hidden from everyone else? If someone asks you, how are you doing? Do you ever just say, fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. Even when inside you're really not fine. Well, for four months, Nehemiah has done just that until now because his emotions reach his face. He can't, can't keep it in perhaps. And the king says, why does your face look so sad? Now, Nehemiah could have made excuses on the spot. He could have said, I'm tired. You know, I don't know. I've been, I've been up late watching Bigfoot documentaries. He could have said anything, right? But no, for the first time in four months, he lets his heartache out. He says, why should my face not look so sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins? And it's a moment of raw openness with his boss. I don't know if, if you... You've got a boss. I don't know if you've ever done this. You've been like really raw and open and you're not sure how that would be taken or responded to. But how does it go for Nehemiah? Amazingly well. In fact, it's his honesty and his vulnerability that set the dream of his rebuilding project in motion. Honesty matters, you know, and most of us know that. You know, we don't live our lives habitually lying to everyone we meet, but we can be dishonest in more subtle ways. Like when someone says, how are you doing? And we think, I cannot tell you I'm struggling. I can't reveal that I'm weak. So, hey, here's my big cheesy Pennywise smile. I'm (laughs) a-okay. That we don't really be honest about how we feel. And And I'm afraid to say it, Creepy Cove, but churches can be particularly bad places at being safe spaces for weakness, for visible weakness. They can be a hard place to admit our struggles out loud because we fear being judged. Sometimes it doesn't help as well when we come into church and all the church songs that we sing are about success and being bold and being fearless. When actually, sometimes we're standing there and we just feel like we can't do this anymore. We can't do it. Can't do life or a particular challenge perhaps that we're facing at work or at home or in our personal life. Well, it's not just churches either because this happens throughout society. On on social media particularly, we feel it is an absolute disaster to appear weak or troubled. And when we do appear weak, it's it's a kind of managed version of weakness that still doesn't expose our real inner struggle. So we, we assemble this version of ourselves for the public space where everything is great and sunny and perfect and successful like Nehemiah must have been doing for four months. Now, don't get me wrong, right? I'm not suggesting that we have to gush out our problems to every single one we meet. You know, it'd be a bit weird going like, Mr. Postman, I'm worried that my father never loved me as a child. And he's like backing away saying, please, please let go of my arm. You know, yeah, I'm not saying that you have to be constantly raw with everyone you meet or indeed most people you meet. However, you've got to have a safe space somewhere in which you can say to people who you trust, I am struggling, I am down, I am sad, I can't do this. And I hope you feel that you can do that here at Creepy Cove, but particularly wherever you are, you know, to have people um, you can talk to in this fashion. Because you see, there's actually something powerful in admitting your weakness. 
it, it sounds counterintuitive, but actually it can be sometimes one of the strongest things you can do. And it can be the spark that can start a new, exciting stage in a situation. You know, last week I talked about how Jesus didn't want to box us in, but that he wanted to, us to live life deliciously, live life to the full with a sense of adventure, try new things that can take us out of our comfort zone, for example. And you know, maybe you've got things you would love to do, visions for your life, just as me, Nehemiah had a vision for his life. Well, can I encourage you tonight? You don't have to start new ventures and new things in complete strength. In fact, it can come as a shock to some people, but I, I've met some churchgoers, for example, who think that for a plan to be of God, <laughs> you have to be 100% filled with faith and positivity about it. And it's this complete faith that will unlock the miracle that will make the vision happen. Or if you're not a religious person, you might just think, well, I can't start something or try something out until I know I'm not going to fail. I have to be so 100% prepared and um, and be completely sure that this is the right thing to do. Well, I don't know if that's a practical way of living your life. I don't think God always expects us to have total certainty and confidence about every single thing we do. Yes, we weigh up the evidence. We want to go in the right direction. But, you know, there's, there's still room for doubt in the things we do, particularly new things. You know, with whatever you're going on in your life or you want to step out into something new, it's okay to still have doubts about the situation, to maybe doubt your own abilities, or even, you know, if you're religious, to doubt God. That's absolutely normal, a part of faith, I think. And the fact is, if you want to do something new in your life, if you wait until you are, you are like 100% positive, it will work out perfectly, you're going to wait forever. And this applies to you whether you frame your ambitions in terms of a spiritual calling or simply a human ambition. Don't wait until you feel fully capable to do something before stepping out. I'm not suggesting, of course, like, you know, try brain surgery on your friend, you know, even though you don't know how to do it. Obviously, I, there's, there's a sensibleness here I'm, I'm, I, you have to include. But I think you know what I mean. Don't stall because you expect perfection. In Matthew 17, Jesus encouraged his disciples to have more faith. And some Christians assume that puts the onus on us, you know, to brew up as much faith as possible. So it's all about our faith that will ultimately unlock the miracle in our lives. In other words, all breakthroughs are dependent on us. But then straight after telling his disciples to have more faith, Jesus adds this, which, which, which changes the dynamic completely. He says, truly, I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. You feel like you want to start something new in your life, a new journey. Maybe you'd like to get a new job or a new personal breakthrough relationship, a creative pursuit that you really want to step into. Well, listen, it is perfectly acceptable to begin those new journeys by saying, I have not got it all together. I have a mustard seed of faith, sure, but I have a wheelbarrow full of fear and doubt as well. We'll be talking about fear, particularly in the next service. Um, but you might think that this ratio of kind of faith to fear would be a non-starter. But bizarrely, sometimes that combination of honest vulnerability with a sense of hopefulness, this mustard seed of faith, is actually a very powerful combo, particularly with God on the scene. The Bible actually puts it this way, which I like. My grace is enough for you because my strength is made perfect in weakness. I do like that. Because, you know, so many people in the world expect you to be perfect and brilliant and fantastic and efficient at everything. When actually, um, you know, the Bible's talking about how God 
can do amazing things in our weakness where we're really cruddy at stuff and where we're, where we're, we're dysfunctional or not very good at certain things, you know, that the strength can be made perfect even in that. Some of you are holding back from doing the very stuff you long to do because you're under the impression that you have to be perfect to make it happen, that you must never make a mistake or fail, that you've got to start your journey, let's say, like Ash from the Evil Dead Army of Darkness, right? With that image in your mind, you're standing with your shotgun aloft and a chainsaw hand at the ready, and you're saying with utter confidence, Hail to the king, baby! I am the master. That's your approach. When actually, it is okay to start the journey. Sometimes it's even better to start the journey, like Ash from the Evil Dead Part 1, shivering with fear and trauma and sadness in a cold, haunted woodland cabin, and yet with honesty, you know, just saying, crap, this is like, this is intense. I'm not sure if I can do this. But with this sense of calling, this mustard seed that says, but, uh, but I do know this is not the place I want to stay and I want to get to a new place. Nehemiah, in our passage tonight, decided to skip the Army of Darkness poster image. Maybe he'd been keeping that up for like four, four months, coming in with his chainsaw in his hand or whatever. Um, but on this day that we've read about, um, he goes for the Evil Dead 1 image. He allows his true troubled self to come to the surface and it's in a very public way, right in front of the king. But rather than ruin his hopes, this awkward, painful, vulnerable honesty kickstarts the events that would see his dream come true and would see the walls rebuilt. No wonder. Are you hiding your true self, your, your brittle, scared, trapped-in-the-cabin self while you're presenting to the world this conquering hero? Well, the good news with God, I reckon, is that you don't have to pretend. And actually, there's something really powerful and strategic, you could almost say, in admitting your weaknesses. After all, in a zombie apocalypse, the first step in fortifying your house against the undead is to be brutally honest about the strengths and the weaknesses of your structure. Let's be willing to be honest with ourselves, but also with each other. And particularly, radically honest, perhaps, with certain people in our lives that we can trust. Places where we can say, yeah, I've got strengths. And be proud of that. You know, be willing to say, you know, I'm pretty good at that. But also be totally okay. And it's painful, but totally willing to say, but I've got weaknesses too. The irony is that unexpectedly, sometimes it's admitting the latter. Like Nehemiah does. I'm sad, he says. That might be the very hinge which can change an entire situation as Nehemiah is about to discover. So, you don't have to be the hero all the time. Just be you. And that, ironically, can be a powerful, powerful thing. Well, we now come to a time to ponder all that we've heard. So I'd like to invite Mary Henry again to play for a moment. And as the music plays, we're going to have a moment of reflection and prayer. Feel free to take part in this, um, but if you don't want to, that's completely fine. Now, as the music plays, I want you to picture yourself in a small cabin deep in the woods. And there is a thick cloud rolling across the moon. But your eyes aren't on the stars. They are on the trees around you. Between the trees. What's that? 
something just move? Wait for a moment, you go, oh, yeah. Something out there shifting in the shadows. And then something shocks you utterly to the center of who you are. You see eyes opening dead in the forest and figures coming out from between the trees, snapping twigs underfoot. They are coming toward you. And here you are in this little cabin of yours, a cabin which you have built and have showed off in Facebook pictures and Instagram posts, which works perfectly well under certain circumstances, like a weekend away. But as you glance around it now, you realize that in this scenario, it is not fit for purpose at the moment. You didn't build this place for undead defense. So you got a decision to make. Are you going to sit on that porch in a defiant stance, relying on your projection of strength while you wait for those shambling bodies to reach you? Or are you willing to admit something painful? That maybe this cabin of yours, this life of yours is vulnerable and has weak points. They're coming, by the way. I think that's one of them at the back door right now. And now, make your choice and picture yourself admitting it, embracing it, calling it out at the top of your lungs that this place needs help. It's painful to say it. It's painful to tear up the chairs and split the table apart, but look in the rubble. You have got everything you need to fortify this place. Your admission of weakness has revealed strengths that you never even knew were there. Let's pray. God, we are human beings with strengths and humiliating weaknesses sometimes. I know I've certainly got those. Help us to own that. Help us to know that this is what being a human is, in essence. We're not going to let that stop us from stepping out into something new. So here we are. We're standing in the cabin of our lives and the fact that it's imperfect and flawed in places does actually get us down sometimes. In fact, it might even scare us, especially when we feel the pressure of those accusing moans of those things out there in the forest and over the hill. We do not have all the time in the world, it feels, but we do have time for honesty and weakness because that is where your strength is made perfect. So help us, God, to find people and places where we can be ourselves and we can share our sadnesses and our fears and stop us from seeing such things as a failure and help us to see them as stepping stones towards the dawn. And thank you. Nehemiah was sad at his broken walls, but his vulnerability started the process that got those walls rebuilt. May it be the same for us. Amen. Well, that's it for now. Join us at the next service when we're going to be continuing this passage of Nehemiah, looking particularly at the idea of fear. But before we close, I'd like to invite our worship band up, and they're going to lead us in our final song. And please, if you're a pro, could you sing this with us? If you're willing to stand here in a church in front of other people or wherever you are and admit that sometimes you don't have it all together. Because when you do that, in other words, all you're doing is admitting that you're a human being. So let's stand together and we sing, I can't do this.
hey, thanks for coming, everybody. Do join us at the next service. But for now, stick around for refreshments before you head back. We've got cocktails again. And from everybody here in Crimea. Well, thank you for listening to this sermon-only edition of Creepy Cove Community Church Podcast. You can find more sermons, but also full services as well if you wanted to check out creepycove.com. Remember, support the show by going to patreon.com forward slash creepycove or visit creepycove.com and sign up to the Peter Laws newsletter so you can stay in the loop. Have a great week. Take care.